Welcome to Overthinking in Your Underwear. I'm Lindsay, and this week we're overthinking the labels you pick up in childhood. This is a really interesting one for anybody who's interested in family systems and sibling theory and all that kind of stuff. So in a second, my cousin Jenna is going to join us. And what's really interesting about Jenna, well, everything's interesting about Jenna, but Jenna is the youngest in her family. So she is one of two girls. I'm one of two girls. She's the baby. I'm the baby. And we both had older sisters who were kind of always deemed like the wild one, right? Our older sisters were the wild ones. We were kind of deemed the good ones. And what I say in my book is like having a halo can kind of be heavy to carry around. This kind of dynamic of our sibling dynamics and who Jenna and I were in our family systems and who Kara and Carrie were in their family systems is something we've always talked about. We're only going to talk about the Jenna and I part today because that's only fair. Kara and Carrie could not join us today. The older sisters couldn't join us, which I think it's that would be such an interesting conversation. And I definitely want to hear from the older sisters and hear what their experience was like. Neither one of us wanted to speak for our sisters. So we're only speaking from our perspective on this today um, of what it was like to be kind of the good one in our family and how as we grew up and how we had to kind of like shake out of that and break out of that. So before we get into this conversation with Jenna... I'm going to read to you a little bit of my chapter of overthinking in your underwear so I can give you a little bit of a basis for what a label is. It may sound pretty clear. It is probably pretty self-explanatory, but let's just do a quick refresher on what a label is. Then we'll get into that conversation with Jenna. Thanks so much for overthinking with me. Maybe you are anointed the musician of the family, the athlete, or the one who would do something amazing. We all have labels we name we may not observe in ordinary life, but they influence us in good and bad ways, affecting our behavior and perceptions of ourselves. As easily as we gather good labels, we also pick up a truckload of negative notions. These are the labels we need to overthink, understand, and omit from our inner monologues. Our negative labels begin to shine a light on what Swiss mister psychologist Carl Jung called the shadow self. The shadow is formed during childhood and follows us the rest of our life if we don't sit down, stare at it across the breakfast table, and have a reckoning. For our purposes, we're going to simplify aspects of Jung's theory in terms of labels. Shadow work is a complex subject with layers that take an entire book to digest. If the concept of labels appeals to you, see resources linked at the bottom of the blog for further reading. It's not hard to hear our light negative labels. They're yammering over our inner monologue like the most annoying guests at a party. Pipe down, Tiffany. They're locked and loaded with insecurities and ready to remind us when things go wrong or get a bit quiet. Negative labels are words such as ugly, fat, stupid, failure, or incompetent. I know, fun, right? As I began to monitor my inner monologue, I was knocked over by negativity. Phrases buzzed from ear to ear, such as, I'm not smart enough for that job, or he'd never go out with me, or even, I'm such a bad driver. And here's the thing, I am such a bad driver. I once ran under a school bus because I didn't look both ways before pulling into an intersection. Yellow, black stripes, the size of a small strip mall, that kind of school bus. But even this bullseye accurate self-slight is one I don't need to replay every time I get behind the wheel. A, it's making me more nervous as I drive. B, it doesn't add to my overall self-worth. And that's the noise we're shutting up, turning off, closing down for business. Note, 
No school children were hurt in the writing of this paragraph. The bus was empty, but one for one very nice driver. If we look at our labels, positive or negative, where did they come from? And more importantly, are they ours? Who gave you this label and do you want it? Don't accept a label you didn't earn. And even if you salted the rim on that label of world's worst drinker of margaritas, you don't have to carry it around. Pick it up and put it down. See why it's there and decide it's no longer yours to own. My list of labels doesn't start and stop with the good kid. When I take time to sit with my list, I'll get to sick, weak, and small. I had a lot of headaches growing up and an eating disorder throughout middle school and high school. Because of this, my family often treated me as a fat, fragile being about to break. Even as an adult with a ham sandwich in my hand, I felt there was something wrong with me, regardless of what had come together in my life. This was only my perception, but that's the thing about labels. They're sticky. It's hard to wipe them clean until you see there's a sigh from the past and not a full-throated reflection of who you are now. What is it you're overthinking this week? I mean, it yeah. can be Travis and, and Taylor. Like, what is it that's been most on your mind this week? And then you I, turned 35 yesterday, which is kind of a milestone number. I guess, yeah. Which didn't really hit me until, I guess, my other friend turned 35 and people were saying it to her. And I was like, I guess it's a milestone. Like, is it? Whatever. Um, I feel like every year in your 30s, you're just kind of like, eh, it's, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm also 35 single, no kids, um, which always comes with its own, uh, questions or, you know, concerns, a lot of concerns from people, even though but you're, you're happily single 35, no kids. I couldn't be happier exactly yes. with where I'm at, which people it's more of other people having a hard time accepting that than it is me having a hard time with it. Right. And you've told me, and I don't know if you want to say this publicly, that you don't want kids, which I, and I can cut that out if you want, but I feel like that makes it a little different because if you do want kids, which of course is obviously fine, um, there becomes like a biological clock element of yeah. turning 35 of and everything. But if you don't have that, it's kind of like, well, what the, everything, it, it takes that pressure off, you know? Exactly. And I feel so terribly for people who are my age, who really want that. And that's like their focus. But for me, that's why I feel so at peace with where I'm at and what I'm doing, because I'm not like every day, just like, oh, you know, biological clock is ticking. And when am I going to have it? Blah, blah, blah. So it's just like that having no pressure when it comes to that is so peaceful. And yeah, I have no issues, no regrets. I'm very pleased with where I'm at right now. So well, 35 that. the milestone, but it was a, here we are. We're here. Fortunate. We are. What I remember about turning 35 is I realized on the day of my 35th birthday that I had to renew, renew my license. And if I didn't get down, I was in Chicago. If I didn't get down to like the government building, whatever that was, to renew it that day to have to retake the written version. Oh, so God. I had to run down. I know <laughs> uh, my driving record's terrible. So I had to head down there, 
And I got there and I like didn't have a piece of mail that I needed or something. So I had to go back. I spent my entire day doing this. Had to go back, get the piece of mail, get back there and get my license renewed. I failed the test. The lady was like the written version. And she was like, just study this book and come back in like 10 minutes. And so that I studied the book, came back in 10 minutes. And like, I just remember, that's all I remember is the DMV for my 35th birthday. It was very, it's clearly very traumatic. Clearly. I mean, that's not what anyone wants to remember for their 35th birthday, really. That's terrible. We are supposed to, we are going to talk about kind of like childhood labels and sibling order and what it means to, what it means to be the youngest um, today. I, we were going to be joined by our sisters and they couldn't make it, but I, we're still going to have a good conversation about being the youngest. So just to set the stage really quick, obviously, well, I don't know if it's obvious, but I think I'm going to say it in the intro. (laughs) Jenna and I are cousins. Yes. And our her uh, her mother and my father are siblings and been, you know, very close to our families are very close. And she has an older sister and I have an older sister. And your age difference is how much? For five years. Five four, years. Four point five. Yeah, because she's about to turn 40. Yeah. So we always hit our milestones together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> My sister is two years older than me, so it's a little bit different there. But we always had these very similar sibling dynamics um, with the older sister, younger sister. There was just two of us. And our sibling dynamics just played out very similar in our family. And what they were, where our older sisters were kind of the wild one, and we were kind of the let's not get, let's not get in trouble. Let's keep the peace. Let's be the good one. So first of all, I just want to say this, that I found this, uh, this quote, uh, according to a study at MIT, second born children are often the most rebellious. So just a note, not to trust anything you read on the internet. It's all trash. Um, I will say, though, you do hear that, though, you do hear that. And we are definitely we don't follow that. But we did strike out on our own more in just in terms of we left home and the girls carry and care up. Their names are even similar. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, stay stayed in. Kara has moved now to Maine, but stayed home longer, I guess I would say. So maybe that's just a little bit of that rebellious spirit, I guess I would say. Yes. But, um, so we were just, so in this episode, we're going to talk about kind of the labels you grow up with in your family and how you carry them around and how, even if they're good labels, like I am the good kid, I am the good one, how that can kind of carry on to adulthood and Mm -hmm. affect you and how you kind of need to think about your labels. Yes. 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 Love it. what kind of labels do you feel like you picked up in childhood, just in your sibling dynamic and in your family system? I mean, I certainly, and I don't even think it, it was never, of course, like assigned to me. It was just a, I absorbed being, and I don't even want to say like the good kid because Mm -hmm. nothing, you know, it's not as though I was going above and beyond of doing anything, you know, spectacular, but 
you know, my sister was more rebellious and more, you know, willing to push the limits of the boundaries with what my parents were asking her to do or not asking her to do. Um, you know, she had no issue staying out past curfew or sneaking out or, you know, going to parties, X, Y, Z. So I think by nature, and there was so much I didn't even know about as a child because, you know, I was five years younger and my parents were trying to be protective, of course. So, um, I think by nature, I just saw that Kara was doing something that maybe, was upsetting them. Therefore, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make sure I wasn't adding more stress. Therefore, I became the good child, Mm -hmm. Um, which is my own interpretation of how things were. My parents have never said, Jenna's the good child, Kara's the rebellious child, whatever. But it's something that starts very young and then you start to kind of like you said in your book, like you carry that with you and it, it changes your perception of how you should approach things. Um, so I always made sure, you know, I was staying within the boundaries. I was following the rules. I was where I was supposed to be. I was checking in and calling back when we, no one had cell phones to make sure you were where you needed to be. So it does certainly carry on, you know, even into my 35th year, you know, you kind of carry those traits with you, which is, which is very interesting. Yeah. I think when I started really thinking about labels a couple years ago and it labels kind of peels into shadow work. If anybody knows that buzzword, um, about like, what are the, what are the sides of ourselves we hide or whatever? I of course thought about like, you know, growing up and your family system and all of these things. And again, kind of the same thing. Like no one was ever like, Lindsay's the good one, except probably my sister. My sister's mostly the one who like says that the most, right? You're the good one. Um, And what I saw is, you know, Carrie was again, pushing the boundaries and, you know, which is normal. There's always kind of one that pushes the boundaries and does her thing and, and, and whatever. And so Carrie was doing that. So I would make myself really small yeah. to, cause it seemed like there was chaos and it seemed yeah. like there was a lot going on. And so it seemed yeah. like there was no room for me to do much of anything. Like, you know, it was like, Oh, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to make any noise or anything because there's a lot going on in here. Yes. So I kind of like made myself very small and yeah. was like, this house, this house is already really loud with a lot of stuff. And so I'm going to be like the smallest person in the room. Yeah. Yeah. That was one. And it was probably, that was probably okay. At the time it's probably necessary, but I realized that when I got older that I needed to shake that off or I needed to rewrite that label because I'd be in meetings even. And I would be like, yeah. Yeah. And I'd be like, wait, you have, you can talk. You You have things to say. Yes. You have things to say. You can be loud. You can talk. You can take up space. Like, like I really had to even like meditate on that idea of like, you can take up space. You can be loud. You can do all of these things where I felt like growing up there like wasn't room for that. Yeah. And because I just felt like I needed to be in a smaller space, if that makes sense. You know? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel that too. And it took a long time for me to, like you said, you know, you had to really focus on getting that space or feeling okay with it. 
I, until I was pushed into, honestly, it sounds so silly, but until I became like a server and you had to be, you know, more social and more present and like, and you have to yell at the kitchen and you have to say, you know, order up or, you know, whatever, just having to take up more space that finally pushed me to being bigger than I was ever comfortable being. And that's expanded ever since then. And now, you know, I used to be the same way. Like I didn't want to raise my hand and ask a question in class because what if it was a stupid question or, you know, what if someone else didn't, you know, had already asked it or whatever. And now I'm the loudest person in the room and I do not care if anyone shares my opinion or not. Like they will know what it is by the end of the meeting. Right. Definitely a, a, uh, association that comes with the labels, but you do certainly carry that with you for, for a long time, I would say. Yeah. When you think about that small like label. Can you think back to like a memory that surrounds it? Like that? Can you think back to like an original memory about it? I think that so, I mean, again, not to like, and I'm not ragging on my sister at all, but she was so much more outgoing and bigger than life and, you know, willing to go toe to toe with my parents so often that I, I don't know. It was just like, whenever I saw that was all happening, I would just automatically be like, okay, well, you know, you just kind of automatically like shrink back and you're like, you become a very good observer. Like I'm always, even today, I'm a very observant person. Like, because I never was speaking in these conversations. I hate conflict. Yeah. Absolutely hate conflict. Um, and not to say, you know, my household growing up was crazy or anything, but it's just, you kind of learn that those are the things that are going to trigger you to have a reaction of, okay, now I know I don't want to argue over something like that that's going to cause something bigger than it needs to be. Like, I'll just let it go, which maybe is also not a great thing sometimes. But so there was definite, like, Kara wanting to, you know, do whatever, go wherever, and mom and dad are like, you know, maybe you shouldn't do that. And then I would start to see the, like, wheels start turning, and I'm like, ooh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So those are, those are like the moments, nothing like there wasn't like a one thing that, or any, any one memory that stands out of it. But, um, but those were the times where I'd be like, okay, like I'm taking notes on like, I guess what I shouldn't do uh, when I get to be her age. And even though I did get in trouble a little bit, but I would be very, I was so cagey about it, or I should say opposite of cagey. I was more. I would just like spill the beans. Like I'm such a bad liar. Me too. I would just be like, okay, so this happened and here I'm over here and I'm not actually spending the night at Kelly's house and blah, blah, blah. I <laughs> would too. Like, and I just, uh, I do remember I was, I was so little. I don't even know how old I was. Old enough to be sitting at a little desk in my room coloring. And for some reason, I just took a marker and like drew a small line on the wall and my mom walked by the door and I just covered it with my hand. And she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, 
I drew on the wall and I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did it. And it was like, not a big deal. She got a sponge and wiped it right off. But I was just like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> she's like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm like, I will immediately tell you when I did something wrong. Like I can't handle the guilt. Oh, and I would much rather get ahead of it than have someone else find it. And then be like, I don't know, behind the eight ball. Uh, just ridiculous. <laughs> I have these memories of like, it's kind of like when your family, even like your family would be there or like all of our families would be together. And there's yeah. just like, kind of like I would always sit in this specific part of our living room. It's kind of yeah. like over by the fireplace and yep. just kind of like sit there. I still like sitting there because it's really warm there, oh, yeah. but I would kind of sit there just because it was like, I could almost hide there you know? And like when we had like a lot of people there and it seemed like, like my sister would be there talking loud and like, yes, holding court, like whatever. And I'd be like, I'm just going to sit over here and like, not really say anything, you know? And it just felt like, I just felt like there was no room for me really, you know? Yeah. I also, and I feel like you might feel the same way too. I'm very, sensitive to sound now as an adult yes if if there's a lot it could be like a group of like screaming kids or it could just be loud adults or it could I'm always so it gives me such bad anxiety and I hate when things are getting too loud especially if you're like in a public place I I just frown and I'm like guys like too much too much too much or like you know trying to be considerate of other people but like if you're in a house and it's just like a lot happening, I just like need to remove myself. And like, I think sometimes like my family or, you know, when we go visit or do whatever, like they might think like I'm like mad or something, but it's really just like, I can't stand the sound. Like, and yeah. I, that must come from back, you know, when we were younger with all the chaos or like if, if my sister and parents were yelling or, at our family reunions when things got so loud and crazy or whatever. It's just like, I would kind of be the same way as you, like wanting that we little like, peaceful, peaceful corner just to kind of, you know, have a second. So it, it is interesting how, how that can kind of come into play. And that's why we're not having kids. I can't imagine the screaming. <laughs> the screaming? I, what? I have a kid that has moved in up above me and I'm like, I think I have to move. <laughs> So what Jenna just said is, is really important that, um, we often have different interpretations of our childhood. And there's a story at the, in the, one of the last chapters of the book called overthinking reality, where my sister and I, you know, you have these like stories of family lore kind of, and my sister and I have this story where we were on a family canoe trip and early eighties, you know, so we were very young and I had this memory of we were going down the river and, um, our family canoe flipped over and like whoosh water washing by, we were, you know, fished out like we were in the Titanic. Right. And then my sister has this memory of this happening, but my parents, why would they be in another canoe? I don't know. But in her memory, my parents are in another canoe, you know, high and dry. And we're with another family going down (laughs) the river and we flip with this other family. My parents are like, hi, and we get fished out. So my sister and I talk about this only recently, a couple years ago. I remember 
and we tell my parents that we tell my we tell my mom that like, we've my never been on a yeah, my mom's like, what? No, my mom was like, what are you guys talking about? That happened to another family. We were all together in the canoe, completely fine, like eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And we watched this other family flip their canoe. You guys were not, you guys were dry. You yeah. guys were fine. Calm down. We and, were having milkshakes on the side of the lake. Just yeah, if my, and if my mom's just like, I mean, and if I was my mom, I'd feel this way too. Like, I have no chance of ever doing anything right if these bitches are over <laughs> here misremembering everything <laughs> from their child. <laughs> yeah. So um the point I make in the point I'm I'm making now and the point I make in the book is your reality is your choice. Don't yeah. flip your boat for no reason. Yeah. And I read this other quote recently that was like that I that I loved and I wrote down and wanted to talk to you guys to you about today. Reality is created by the stories you believe. So pick the right stories. Mm-hmm. So our stories have so much our stories only have as much power is insofar as they are believed. So what are you telling yourself about your life or your limitations that you need to change? Um, Do you need a new story? So I think that kind of goes into labels too. Like labels are also stories. Like if you're believing something about your childhood, like I'm small, I'm weak, or even our sisters, like if they're believing I'm the bad one or I'm the wild one, or there's something wrong with me, you're believing this story from childhood. And it only has as much power as you give it. Totally. And I think you get a little nugget of that. And then if you get it young enough, then you're like, well, I already got this. So I might as well just like run with it. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I think that's like such an interesting notion, especially like if you just keep building on it, like you just keep creating like this mythology about you. It's like, what are you telling yourself? You get more comfortable in your bubble or, or out of it, depending on what your label may be. And then it just continues to kind of compound until you're like, well, this is my whole identity. <laughs> this is my whole identity. Like you've attacked, you've, you've grown this whole identity around, I don't know, something stupid that happened when you were younger and it's yeah. your, I mean, you have the power to change it, you know? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, it's true. And I think that like, it's, it's so funny because there are aspects of, um, you know, Kara, when we were growing up that I was like, I wish I could be more like her in the sense of like, she's like, not afraid to say anything, not afraid to say what's on her mind. Like, she's not kept in a box of like, I'm afraid to like, mess up so badly that I'm not gonna like, go out and try things. Like, I think that me having had the label of being like the quote unquote good child kept me from kind of exploring a little bit, you know what I mean? And, and uh, trying things and whatever. And not to say like, I didn't branch out a little bit down the road, but still it it did keep me from getting in some trouble, but, um, but it's, it's like, you're just a kid. You should go try those things and like, you know, do those experiment a little bit and you know but I guess we do or we don't for one reason or another and it it all worked out (laughs) well that's kind of what shadow work was about it's kind of like 
look at your shadow or your label and like figure out what has power about it. And I talk about this a lot. Like one of my shadow words was kind of like introvert, which is like goes into like small and like I'm small and not talking a lot. And like, okay, well, there's a ton of power about that. Like, why do you think I'm a writer? Why do you think I'm so comfortable being alone? Why do you think that I have, you know, I have the job I have. It's obviously comes from being an introvert, you know? And yep. so like find the power in your label and kind of reframe that. Totally. And then use it to your know, advantage. Use it to your advantage and kind of reframe whatever it is, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. I mean, I it, like I just laugh so much at how similar and I, I know we'll probably chat about it, but like how similar you and I really always have been from I know. down I know. to our hair. I mean, <laughs> well, we're, it's straightened right now I know. and it's really naturally curly, naturally curly. We're the younger ones We're you know, we've both, we're both single. We both don't have kids. You know, we've kind of, as you said, we were the explorers. We left home after school, um, and we kind of both took interesting career paths that did end up being, you know, like you said, they it was using it to your advantage. Mm-hmm. I I used my kind of ability to, I guess, observe and and read I hate people. I hate saying read people, but um, but yeah, read people. And now I work with people every day <laughs> in HR yeah with people much every day. To my dismay sometimes but um so yeah it is just kind of funny how we we both had that from a very young age and then it kind of took a very similar path and here we are here we are that was going to be what I was overthinking today was Matthew Perry is that terrible it was literally like kind of, it literally ruined my day when you were, when we were doing, what were we overthinking this week? So, I mean, we found out Matthew Perry died last night and, um, obviously so sad because I love him, but I was overthinking, like you can be like so successful and still be so troubled. And in whatever thing I clicked on about it, the New York Post or something, they were had a quote from him. And he was saying how he got the show when he was 24. He was on the show till he was 34. Yeah. And like such a formidable time of his life. Yeah. And he never really enjoyed it. Like no. he just never really enjoyed the success. There was well, three was years of the, drugs for so much of it too. Right. There was three years of the show. He doesn't even remember because he was yeah. on, on pain pills so much. Not crazy. So many of so much of that cast talks about like while they were on the show, they were so busy trying to get movies and like all this other stuff because they wanted to break out of them. Not that they were going to quit the show, but they wanted to break out of the mold of TV star. Like they well, were so also see the writing on the wall with the TV show. Like it's not forever. Right. And like back then, back in the nineties, it was like, well, after this, I don't want to just be a TV star. I want to be yeah. a movie. Star. I want to be a, a feature film actor. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. funny. Cause that's like not how it works now. And yeah. like, I want a Netflix deal. <laughs> yeah. They're like, this TV show is gr- like this, is, like literally friends is the best thing that could ever happen to an actor. Right. Literally. But back then it was yeah. like, no, the best thing to ever happen to an actor would be then have a movie career. 
Yeah. So they were all like, we don't want to just be TV actors. Yeah. We want to go on, like, we want to go on auditions to become a feature film actor, like you were yeah. saying. Yeah. And it's, which is hilarious because literally friends is the best thing that could happen to an actor. And so it, it was just making me think about like living where like living in the moment, like the best thing that could ever happen to you could be happening right now. Exactly. Jenna, this could be the best thing that, that ever happens to you right now. It really already is. Um, so <laughs> this, this is what I've been working towards. But anyway, I was just kind of, my mind was going like well, lots of places like, with it. 2020, you know, it's like so many people, that's such a, a metaphor for like, truly I mean probably the world but really I feel like America it's like you're always nothing that you have now is good enough you're always like looking 10 steps ahead and then you get there and you're like I regret it's the whole you know on your deathbed you're not gonna say I wish I worked more you know right people kill themselves working to then retire at the age of 70 you know 70 and then they're too old to enjoy what they have and they didn't take the time to spend with family or vacation or travel because they had to work in order to get to retirement, you know, yeah. it's a vicious cycle, but yeah, it's true. It's, you're always, uh, you're not enjoying what you have because you want something different. I know. Terrible. I know. Terrible. Matthew. But he was hilarious and I loved him so much. Oh I think this is interesting. Um, I say our labels live in our reactions to situations and people. So if you're having trouble finding your negative labels, check your reflection in your projections. So do you feel, so what I, what I mean by that is like, you're kind of like, oh, I wonder what my labels are. I wonder what my labels are that I picked up in childhood or whatever. Like, think about what bothers you, like in life about other people. If you're sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. But I really do try to think about that a lot. Like when someone I'm like, oh my God, that person, I can't, I can't stand that. Or I can't stand that. Or I can't stand that person. Or, oh, that's really bothering me. I'm like, yeah, why? Like, what does that say about me? Or like, what, what am I trying to say to myself? Yeah. Like, check your reflection and your projection projections. Wow. And, um, I usually, I usually can figure it out. Sometimes I'm like, well, no, I just think people like that are assholes or, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't like asshole drivers. It doesn't mean I'm an asshole driver. I actually am a terrible driver. So maybe there is some projection there. You're terrible. Uh, but I think you can learn, a, you can learn something about yourself and kind of uncover some like labels. Um, if you look at that, do you have any projections you want to talk about? Oh, man. Ugh. I'd have to think about that. I'm very self-deprecating, which I feel like there's something to that. Mm -hmm. What? I couldn't tell you. Like, that's where my humor is. Um, we're also so am I. Funny, Lindsay. Go us. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm very self-deprecating, too. Yeah. You are hilarious. Your toast at your sister's wedding was so funny. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, actually, there's probably something to that. To We're both very humorous people. I feel like I'm probably funny by fixing, you know, uncomfortable situations. <laughs> right. You're trying to light. You probably learn something. I mean, I think our sisters are funny too. They are. But 
I think we probably learned something about lightening the situation because it's more, less for them. It's more for the, um, for maybe like parents or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. trying to always lighten a situation. That's mm-hmm. definitely, as I said earlier, anti-conflict. I will make a joke in the middle of something that is not funny at all. Trying to just like shift gears for everyone. Right. Um, but when it comes to like, things that bother me about people and how it comes back to me. I'd have to really think about that. That's a yeah. deep one. That's a deep one. What do you, deep what one. is your thing? Um, I, I always had like a thing around being like incompetent, like yeah. <laughs> not incontinent, but incompetent. No. Um, like that. I wasn't, we haven't had kids. We're not incontinent, <laughs> not incontinent yet. Um, yeah. Is the keyword. <laughs> like I always had something about like I wasn't good at my I wasn't good at my job or like whatever and um I think that start that came from like when I started working I really was totally incompetent (laughs) like for many years yeah but now um like when someone's not very good at their job like they'll I don't have I feel like I'm a really compassionate person, person, but I don't have a lot of compassion. I'm always like, why do you suck so bad? Like if I'm on a project with someone. Yes. And I think it's because like, I don't know. It's really because like one of my like deep seated fears or deep, my deep seated like projections is like, I don't want to be seen as like incompetent. Totally. And it's like from like a long time ago. That makes sense. I feel like I always have, um, I'm such an imposter syndrome person. Oh, yeah. Big one. And I feel like if someone isn't doesn't have imposter syndrome, then I just am like, well, then you're a psychopath. Like, I can't. Right. But, like, I feel like that that has to be – I mean, I feel that – I don't know. I Clearly, you always feel that because you feel like you're not smart enough or deserving enough or whatever. But it is kind of – twofold almost in the same way of like what you just said but when I see people like getting a job like or a promotion I'm like do you really deserve that yeah yeah <laughs> like projecting my imposter onto them somehow but no it is uh, that's such an interesting concept and I, I definitely want to like think on it and I'll call you yeah, oh, you can but, get me. No, it's weird. I I saw this. I re, I subscribed to like all these random blogs, and I really just read the headline of it. But this guy who's very smart, he's like a professor. His blog was about how most people overestimate their abilities. Like most people think they're yeah. better at things than they actually are. And I'm like, how does that? That's very interesting. But how does that track? Because we're all we all have imposter syndrome. So yeah, I'm so confused about that that study, yeah, but. Is- everyone feel this way like where where is this coming from because i thought everybody thought they were terrible like we all were like deeply insecure no i guess not not everyone i guess i'll check myself i guess not his study but oh my gosh interesting i i i hope imposter goes away eventually i don't know every day i'm like i'll i'll be found out i'll be fired soon (laughs) no i don't think it goes i think like you said you'd you'd be a sociopath if it went away true um the most confident, egotistical person. <laughs> right. Right. I should say. So we talked a little bit about our labels. Um, 
What are some labels you'd like to go forward with? Ooh. I'd like to, oh man, that's a good For one. your 35th year. I know, going into my 35th. I mean, I feel like I've successfully changed some of my labels and not to say like, I know we've said a lot, like I was the good child or whatever. I'm still a good person. Um, <laughs> but I think that like, there's been so much growth from where my labels started of like, like we said, kind of almost the meek, you know, quiet, reserved person, just trying to make everyone happy. I always called myself Switzerland. That's my other label. Yes. Keeper, always so neutral. I love everyone. We're all best friends. Um, so I'll, I'll do this twofold. I want to keep like that type of label. I love being able to kind of adapt and be with everyone. And like, I don't like one of the things that I, I really took away from, I think my childhood and my labels is that I learned that I hate seeing someone who is being like ostracized and like someone who doesn't have like an ally. And that would relate to like at school, the kid that like was awkward and didn't fit in or whatever. Like I would always seek them out and like, make sure of like, be like, Hey, like, how are you doing? Whatever. And I think that like, that's a beneficial benefit of my Switzerland label from being younger. Um, I always seek out the awkward people. Um, but to change something to change in my 35th year or maybe chase, um, I mean, I'd like to always be a little more confident, I guess, and kind Mm -hmm. of shift from that imposter, uh, thing that I have. Like, it's funny, me and my friend joke so much that like, we have the biggest egos. We don't care. Like people's words don't bother us or like. We think we're like the greatest people on earth. But when it comes to certain situations, you're just always kind of like, there is that internalized uh, doubt, I guess, or like you, no one has a perfect self-esteem. So I think that like fixing my internalized self-esteem and being more confident in certain situations, um, speaking up a little bit more not too much, but a little bit more, um, think those are my labels I would want to chase a little bit. Yeah. Do you think there's any, you were kind of answering that, but do you think there's anything you still carry from childhood? Like any, like I'm small, I'm, you know, only whatever. Only when I'm put back in. Yes. Familial situation. Yes. It's, Interesting because you do kind of resort back Res- to yes. I still am just trying to keep the peace, like not you know, even if it's just like a simple, you know, misunderstanding. I'm always trying to explain both sides and like make sure everything's good. Um, and I still, I don't like, um 
like, I just want whatever it is to be done with so quickly that I refuse to like say anything that may stoke the fire a little bit, you know, even if it's yeah a clarification or, mm-hmm. oh, I don't think that's what they meant. I think they meant that because I know I can read how that will, will, what kind of turn that will take. Um, so I do, I do think that regardless of how old we get, you'll still carry certain things that you've kind of always had when you're put back in a similar situation. Um, so yeah, I do still do a little bit of that small. I do still do, I'm the escaping, like I want the quiet. I want all of that. Certainly. What you were just saying is so this is like, I'm just like actually figuring things out about myself right now, Jenna. It's so funny. In real, this is real hot, real time aha moments. (laughs) So I do like so much, so much of what you were just saying, like when stuff is happening, whether it was a long time ago or now it's like, okay, so much is happening. So many people are having so many feelings and opinions and like lots of feelings. So I'm not going to have any not even that I'm maybe not, maybe I'm actually not going to have any, or yes. I'm not going to tell mine because there's already a lot yeah. flying around. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely not going to tell mine. And, um, I'll just, again, be small. I'm not going to share my opinion because there's not really room for it right now anyway, because yes. there's a lot going on. And yes. then now who has a podcast where all she does is talk about her effing feelings, this girl, you needed, you needed the platform and you <laughs> grown for it. I think it's perfect. Oh my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, I used to always feel like that. It was like, okay, well I'm, you know, I'm just going to stay Switzerland yeah. and there's a lot of emotions. No one needs to hear mine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's okay. I actually don't even mind that, but I just think it's ironic that then now I, all I do is talk about mine. Yes. Yes. Hilarious. Yeah. Um, hilarious. Uh, what I, what was, I was going to answer the questions I just asked you. What did I just ask you? What labels do you want to carry <laughs> or what labels do you want to change and what have you carried from your childhood? Okay. Okay. Carried from my childhood. Um, I think I can still, I have to work myself out of the small thing all the time. Yeah. That one, that one kind of yeah. like p- comes up. I have to like work myself out of it and re- I meditate, I meditate. Do you meditate? No, I'm so bad at not being able uh, being able to block everything I yeah it's like chasing the runner's high I never was able to get a runner's high so now I just don't run I couldn't drown who out. who doesn't no- get a runner's high what does that mean like runners who I know run- yeah well, they get the high like and then you feel great like I never have run to the point where I have that like euphoric feeling how far did you run I don't even think it's about distance it's like it's just like once you kind of have figured out running and like you get to like a point of, I don't know, like, I, I don't know if it's an actual thing that happens while you're running or if it's like the concept of running, you get excited to do it. It's like, I hate running. And I was like, I think I can do it enough and work myself into convincing myself I'm going to like it that I'll finally feel that like runner's high. I've never had that. So I was just... So I'm just, okay, sorry. I'm not going to belabor this, belabor this. You didn't run for, you can't run for 30 minutes and actually feel good afterwards. You don't get an endorphin. God, no, I hate running. (laughs) Wow. 
No, I hate running too, but I mean, I'll actually, if I make myself run for 30 minutes, I would feel good. Like I'm not immune to endorphins. I mean, you'll feel accomplished, but I think there's an actual feeling of like, while you're running, you're like, oh my God, this is everything. I have, I mean, I have done it where I've actually felt that, but I do hate running, but I mean, okay. I've, I've accomplished that feeling before, but okay, good for you. Good for you. no, but I hate, yeah. I mean, I hate, I'm not going to. It's so hit or here's the thing about running is like, that's so hit or miss. It's like yeah. five times in a hundred. That's not a yeah. good, those aren't good odds for me. Those aren't no. good. No, thank you. Yeah. So I can't drown out the noise enough to meditate, but maybe you could give me some pointers. Okay. I'll give you a pointer and then we'll go back. Okay. Um, just if you Google, you know, I always mispronounce this by oral. It's B-I-A-U-R-A-L, by oral beats. Do you know okay. what those are? No. Um, it's just like a, it's like a humming to- tone, right? There's okay. all different kinds of like, I always want to say they're like binaural. Cause it's like, anyway, if you Google that, there's okay. all different kinds of tones. And okay. if you have the tones in your ear, sometimes it's easier to just like, like meditate on the tone. Okay. And if you're meditating on the tone, like for some reason for me, I'm not thinking about anything else. And I'll actually kind of be like, mm, like God. zen out. Okay. That seems helpful. I should do that. Yeah, I like that. But anyway, sometimes when I'm meditating on that tone. I can't just like sit in a quiet room. It's just yeah, like. No, I agree. Like go get groceries. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. But when I'm meditating on the tone, then I'll run like an affirmation. Like if I'm trying to, let's say, retrain a label and I'll be yeah. like, I am big. I am strong. I take up yeah. space. Like yeah. trying to help you like work yourself out of a label. Okay. Yeah. So. Back to what I was saying, what we were saying. Um, still probably carry that. Yeah. Um, if I want to go forward with the new label, it is probably just like I am worthy of, you know, success and everything that I want in my life. Because I do think that that kind of goes with it when you're like, I'm small. I'm not worthy of like all the yeah. things that I want, you know. True. True. Yeah. It's not just a physical presence. It's certainly um, reaches other parts of your life. So that makes sense. You are yeah. worthy. You wrote an amazing book and you have, you're worthy. Awesome. You're worthy. We're the best. <laughs> We're the best cousins ever. <laughs> 